This is The Adoption Wait, a podcast brought to you by Adopting.com. I am your host, Lacey Richter, author, business owner, and a mom of two through domestic infant adoption who has endured the adoption wait five times over. Hello, and thank you for joining the Adoption Wait podcast. Here at the Adoption Wait, we know firsthand how challenging, hard, and long the adoption wait can be. Today's guest is Laura Corey. Laura is an adoptive mom of two through domestic adoption and also foster care adoption. Laura is also an author of a children's book, The Tale of Mallory Mouse, From Foster Care to Adoption. So Laura is here to share her experiences during the adoption wait to encourage you as you wait to become a parent through adoption. Hello, Laura, and welcome to the Adoption Wait podcast. Hello, Lacey. Thank you so much for having me. We're so happy to have you. So you and I have a lot in common. We are both girl moms. I love I love girls. I love girl. I know. Okay. I love the boys, but I know nothing about boys. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) And then also both of our households were sick just recently. So we've got a lot in common going on in the last couple of weeks. So we're happy to have you. And Laura, you are our first guest that has foster care experience. All of our other guests have been um, moms through domestic infant adoption. So I'm looking forward to having you um, bring that experience on and talk about that today. So Laura and I are going to talk about something that was really important in my adoption weight, in my personal adoption weight. And recent on recent episodes, we've talked about how important it is to find a community and have support during the wait. But today I want to talk about support from your spouse and how adoption can affect a marriage. And also the other topic we're going to talk about is how important it is to be flexible and ready for anything during the adoption wait. But we always want to start where at the beginning of the adoption wait. And we want to ask Laura, share with us how you and your husband became parents, why you adopted, and what we always want to know, how long did you wait? Yes. And um, I had shared before we got started that my journey is long. So kind of bear (laughs) with me. We kind of um, wind through the, the story, but we started in 2009. My husband and I were ready to have a family and um, pretty early on, I think we had been trying for about a year and I was diagnosed with uterine cancer and that kind of just threw us for an enormous loop. I was pretty young for uterine cancer. And um, so I decided to have, um, well, I didn't really decide, but my body decided it was time for a hysterectomy (laughs) and uh, followed by some cancer treatment. And during that time, it was about a year and a half of me just kind of feeling hopeful for the adoption. Um, But we started in 2010, we started our home study and kind of right out of the gate as 2011 began, we had our fresh home study in our hands and we were connected 
through a friend to a situation that um, there was a, a two-month-old baby and we thought, this is it. We're ready. You know, we've got this new yep. home city. We're ready. And so we got in the car. We drove down to Missouri and um, that first adoption did not end up working out. Birth mother, okay. it was tumultuous. It didn't work out for her. Um, like in her own life, it was just confusing. And so we came back home and had to kind of pick up the pieces. And mm-hmm. I like to always mention that, especially to people who are in the wait, because around that time, our daughter, Sophie, was um, conceived. And of course, we didn't know it yet, but we were, we went into the the fresh year kind of waiting and hopeful. And um, Sophie came to us nine months later in September. And okay. it was domestic infant adoption. So her birth mother selected us from um, the profile and um, everything went really smoothly with her adoption. She came home. Um, we of course fell in love and <laughs> had an open relationship with, uh, with Sophie's birth family. We see them. Um, we just saw them this last weekend because it was um, Sophie's birthday in September. Very and nice. So then pretty quickly after that, we were like, let's do it again. So we started, I remember worrying that my girls were going to, or my children were going to be too close in age because we started again when Sophie was about 12 months old and my girls are four and a half years apart. So everything didn't happen very fast. The second yeah. Um, so we, you know, got back end of the game and things had changed from 2010, 2011 to, um, 2013, 2014, when we were continuing, everything had gone digital. And I don't know how many people are still in the wait who would know before things went digital, everything, all of your profiles, everything was on paper. So we would glue pictures down and now it's all on the computer. And so we were kind of that was a big part of that second wait is we were trying to figure all that out. It was new yeah. to make a video and people weren't doing that yet. So it was, it was challenging. Um, and so we waited for, I think it was two and a half years altogether, but we had a pretty, um, pretty difficult situation that kind of came to light during that time. We were okay. selected by a birth family that um, had already, um, done this before, but they were, they were using deception just to try to gain financially. And we were on the the wrong end of that. So that situation was, I think we were matched with them for about three months. They ended up having the baby and continuing to try to deceive and get money. They kind of had a birth plan with us and then a real birth plan for what they were really doing. And so once that came to light, it was very challenging to get over for my husband and I. Yeah. Um, and later we can talk a little bit about how how we did that. But that it was very difficult during that time. And so my husband and I, after that happened, we we went another year still waiting. But we decided ultimately, look at our beautiful family. We have Sophie. We are so happy. And there's so many things that we can do with a really small family that we couldn't do if we had a big family. So we decided... <laughs> you know what, we're, we're just going to let our home study expire and kind of move on our way. But, um, I feel like I'm a, a woman of faith and I always say, but God had different plans for my family. So, um, 
just as we were about to expire, the home study was about to expire, my, um, my little one, Cecilia came into our lives. And so I was at the time I was teaching, I was a teacher and, um, her foster mother had, um, come into the school and the little girl, she wasn't in my class. This little girl was in my, my girlfriend's class. She had come in the little girl and said, we have another baby. And Mm. she told her teacher, I got to hold the baby this morning. And so this teacher, she just brought, brought us together. Kind of like she said, she just had this feeling in her heart that this is what she was supposed to do. So she pretty much set up a meeting without telling either one of us. She had the baby and um, the foster mother come at the end of the day. And she had me come at the end of the day. And I think I'm coming down to like help a situation, you know, with kids. I get in there and there's this mother holding a a newborn baby in her arms. Mm. And I'm just like, you know, the foster mother and I connect eyes and we're thinking like, this isn't how this works. You don't just yeah. meet somebody <laughs> and say, I want a baby and it looks like you have one, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but long story, it ended up that I had called the agency and said, you know, I was very interested and anybody who's a waiting family understands that sometimes you come across these situations and you're like, Oh yes, I'm very interested. And then you never hear from the people again. Yeah. But in our case we did. Um, it just took a while about six weeks later, the agency called me and said, are you still interested in placement? And of course I was, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure what that looked like. And having been a waiting family in, um, private adoption, your phone call is so different. You're not hearing Mm. the word placement. Um, but I said, yes, yes, of course we're ready. And, um, got off the phone and called my husband. Like, I don't even know what this means, but we started the process. And when you adopt from foster care, you have to have, um, a different kind of home study. And so they said, they were trying to figure out what would be the fastest way to get us licensed. Would that be having another home study through them or having, um, getting our foster care license? And they decided just to do a new home study. Okay. But it took a really, really long time. It was, um, we started that June and it took a full year before we were able to have full custody of our daughter. And so during that, that first year, we, pretty much had shared custody with the foster family. Oh, and how interesting. Yeah. It was pretty quick that the, um, the social workers had decided that it was the best interest of the child that she spend most of her time in our home because rights were already terminated. It was looking like that was the direction it was going, Okay, but we didn't have physical custody of her. So okay. I couldn't take her to the doctor. Um, If we left town for any reason, we weren't able to bring her with us. Wow. And so it was really challenging, but also this foster family was so amazing to us. We pretty much any time that I worked, they had her at their home and even overnight on the nights that I worked and I worked Mm part-time at the time, but they'd also watch my other daughter so that the girls could be together. Um, And we went through, I mean, our journey was, we were all so sick together. We were talking about illness because they had five children and I was a teacher. We were just 
so sick during that year. Someone always sick. Yeah. Yeah. But also we, you know, we grew very close and, um, after, after we got full custody, um, it took another six months or so until we were able to legally adopt. And then that was all in 2017. Okay. And after that, we decided, you know, we would like to be foster parents ourselves. So we ended up getting a license to, um, foster in our state. And we, um, we took some long-term placement, um, respite care for some of our friends. We took, um, what their little one for a little while, while they were kind of figuring out some things going on in their home. And then, um, we later took placement, had a a long-term placement during COVID of a, a sweet little boy. And, um, and our, we let our license for foster care expire, um, just because it was a little bit challenging when that little boy left our home, it was challenging for my girls and we realized, you know, they're still very young and they both came to this family through adoption themselves. And it just, it didn't feel, um, I think it made them feel like their position in our home wasn't completely solid as they were Mm -hmm. seeing people kind of coming and going. And so that part of our journey is kind of on pause and we'll see if, you know, if we want to do foster care again, um, in the future. Yeah. It's kind of a long and windy road, but it was, a yeah, it always is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I hear it's so funny. I hear a lot of adoption stories. They're so unique and so different, but also a lot of them will have similarities. Like, a lot of times the first adoption, like your first adoption with Sophie and my first adoption with my daughter, it was very sort of smooth, not very windy. Um, and you said you waited nine months. I hear a lot of people wait that nine months. It's crazy. Yes. Um, yeah. And then the second adoption, sometimes I hear that story. You've got more challenges. You, um, you've, there's more things that we sort of encounter. And what I think is the good thing that happens in the second adoption is that you've completed your first adoption and you know what it's like to be a parent. And so you know that it's worth those ups and downs and that effort because you have that proof living in your home and loving in your home. So, um, I hear a lot of need for flexibility in your story. I hear a lot of need for support. Your family faced a disruption, an extended waiting time, um, a bit of a, I I don't know what we want to call maybe a scam. You guys kind of faced a lot of different things in that second, second process. You also at one point wanted to walk away. This is a very familiar story to me. Um, And my husband, we wanted to walk away at one point. So I want to dive into how that waiting experience, all those ups and downs can affect a marriage and how we can be successful at supporting each other during such a challenging and emotional time. So I always see this meme online that hits home for me. It's like, uh, there are two types of people in this world and one says it's only 10 p.m. and the other says it's already 10 p.m. and they marry each other. And that is so true for me in my home and a lot of marriages because we end up being attracted to these complete opposites and yes. end up marrying complete opposites. So 
You mentioned something I can relate to in pre-interview. You told me that um, you and your husband have completely different communication styles and that one of you is an introvert, one of you is an extrovert. And so I just want to ask you a little bit about how did you and your husband with completely different communication styles process the weight and all those things, that windy road you went to? How did you um, do that and communicate and support each other during that adoption weight? Yeah, you know, it, it was challenging. And I think part of it was that we had already been through the whole like cancer battle and that kind of helped us like come into adoption feeling um, ready and super close. Um, and so when we, when we began and we started, um, we started our weight, um, we had already like, we'd already been through cancer. So we'd already been through the, the challenging part, but, um, my husband is a complete introvert. I am a complete extrovert. I, <laughs> I need to process things out loud. I need to say them often. Yeah. And, a lot. <laughs> yes. And he sort of ruminates and he gets everything figured out and then he'll say what he needs to say. But having already like kind of grieved the loss of, um, after the hysterectomy and mm. grieved the loss of our first situation, we kind of went into it sort of with this tightness and, and we were able to offer one another the graces of knowing that it was hard for the other person. And I think that's kind of where the resentment can sometimes build. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I were being really honest, if I didn't know that he was an introvert, I would worry, well, maybe he's not feeling sad. Like I'm feeling really sad. Why aren't you feeling sad? All I want yeah. to do is talk about it. But I was able to just like trust and know that he, he was feeling that way. And same with him. Um, I, I needed more than just, him as an outlet. And I knew that, and he knew that, you know, I needed to have some friends. I needed an adoption community and that was slow for me to build, but I built, mm-hmm. built one, especially after the first adoption, I like met some other mothers that were also in an adoptive community, but other people that I could kind of extrovert with and talk with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of the biggest things, you know, that I think was helpful for both of us. And now I use this with the girls is that, that we can kind of have both the grief and the complete um, realization that we are so blessed with the family that we have and they can Mm -hmm. kind of both be true. Um, You know, you can feel the grief of your family wasn't the way you know, you thought it might be when you were a little girl. Um, For me, it was really, I know that these two girls were meant to be part of my family and I was meant to be here for them. But also there's a part of me that's like, why didn't my body work the way it was supposed to? And I let myself grieve that. And I thought after the first time, like, oh, that's done. Like I put a little bow on it. I grieved. It's done. But it kind of just pops back up every now and then. Yeah. Um, And I like that that happened for me because now I can talk to my girls and my husband can talk to my girls because we both lived it and tell them, you know, you are allowed to miss 
your, we just had a, a very big adoption weekend here at the house yeah. just because it was the anniversary of one daughter's adoption. And then we met with the birth mother of the other daughter. Yeah. So I actually had this talk. I, I want them both to know that it is 100% okay for them to miss their birth mother so deeply and yearn for her, but also love me and their dad so much and and it's okay and it's so complex but it's part of adoption you know yeah. and we feel it as birth or as a adoptive parents and and they feel it and we know birth parents feel it as well so i think my husband and i really worked to just sort of like feel all of that and give one another space to feel all yeah. of that yeah um i hear what you're saying and i think you know, as you were going through the cancer and the infertility and you guys were able to process that, you kind of learned how to process um, hard before you got into this part. And so for me, it was like there were um, situations during our second wait where I would be incredibly sad and he would just be incredibly mad. And I we had to kind of figure out like, this it's okay for me to process in this way and you to process in this way. We didn't have to feel the same feelings. And like you said, like you're explaining to your daughters, you can feel two things at once also. And I think that's an overwhelming theme and adoption that we talk about um, in the community. So I noticed uh, during our adoption wait, my husband and I, we grew and we changed. Like if I look at myself pre-adoption, pre-kids is so different than now. Um, I never would have expected our relationship to change, but it very much did. And I actually think during our wait, during the hard stuff, we were really connected and closer um, and more in tune with each other's needs and how we needed to process things differently than we are now as parents. Because sometimes it's like, now we're a family of four and we're dealing with four personalities and four ways that we're all processing things. So did you notice any changes in yourself or you and your husband's relationship during that wait? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think we just, you had described that we'd already been through the hard and I, I would think a lot of people who are in the wait are sort of, you're in a different hard than the people who are around you, which it doesn't mean that it's any, any harder. It's just different than the people who um, might live in your neighborhood or in your family. And they're talking about um, struggling with breastfeeding or struggling with losing baby weight. And you're in this battle where you're trying to figure out how to word your adoption profile or, you know, how to have a, a relationship with the birth family, you know, it's just, it's just different. And so I think my husband and I like kind of started to joke during that time mm-hmm. about being in the trenches together and how the things that we went through and, and still sometimes it's like, can you even believe we were, what were we thinking or what were we, <laughs> doing? you know, because it's just, it's just such a journey. And when you look back, you're just like, oh my word, how did we do that? That was so crazy. Yeah. Um, but I think when you can do that, you feel closer with that person and you feel, you know, aside from 
the date nights and the opportunity to connect. And I did feel really connected with, um, with my husband. It's harder. We're both in the same kind of like those middle years are hard because you start darting off and you need one another because you're, um, you're busy worrying about the kids in different ways than when they were smaller, you wanted them to come and they weren't here yet. Um, but yeah, those years I felt really connected with him, but we did use a lot of humor, um, to kind of connect ourselves. And we, um, used a lot of prayer to connect ourselves during that time. A lot of yeah. date nights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to talk about prayer, something you and I talked about in pre-interview is how big faith played a part in both of our adoption weights. And I mention it often in my, the daily devotion I wrote for waiting adoptive parents that infertility and adoptions actually where I found, my faith journey. And it's like when something really hard came our way during the wait, I would just sometimes just hit my knees and pray, which is always helpful. It brings you, it can bring you a lot of peace and clarity if you're having to make a decision to move forward. But I'm also happy that I had my husband who is a very logical decision maker and he would help me walk through the season and make decisions based on what was actually happening, what was actually in our control um, versus making decisions based on our emotions. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how faith played a part in your weight and what were the different ways you supported each other when you had decisions to make to move forward in the process? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of in a similar way, we, my husband and I both found our faith again Mm -hmm. during 2009. That was our year. It was the year when I was cancer. It was the year. And so, um, our faith was like coming back to us and we were very strong in our faith during, especially during those early years. Um, And so kind of just feeling that inner peace, I felt it really early on when I was faced with the hysterectomy. And I just, I had this part of me that just knew it was all going to work out, but every now and then, this crazy talk would come up and I'd be thinking, I wouldn't, I'll never be a mom. Maybe I wasn't Mm -hmm. meant to be a mom. Why wouldn't I be meant, you know, and I would just start to swirl and my husband could be the one to say, no, God has a plan. And, you know, we don't know what that plan is. Maybe you're going to be the world's best aunt, but you, you just have to slow your roll. Like don't let that stuff take over. And sometimes I could be the leader in that conversation. Um, I know in our very last situation, we were considering adoption um, with our last foster and also with one of his siblings. And when you're in the, the foster care world, you're really the advocate for the child. It's um, it's a different dynamic in the way that sometimes you feel like you're the only voice and yeah it's, it's hard because you don't know, um, you don't know what's right. And there's so many choices of what could be right. And so my husband was very helpful because he also could be very logical. Um, when we were trying to decide what to do and how to advocate best for that child, um, you know, he came up with this, this discernment way that we were going to write pros and cons, you know, and 
we discerned and discerned and then it ended up that it was sort of out of our control and we weren't able to um to continue with the adoption anyway and looking back i know that child is in the place where he needs to be but um faith is is tricky because even when you you have strong faith you're also and you're in the adoption weight or you're in any period of your life when things are kind of tumultuous it's hard because that feeling of inner peace kind of can come and go. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to, you know, kind of hear others talk about it because looking back, you're like, Oh, just, just trust that it'll all work out. Yeah. yeah. But when you're in it, you feel that peace, but it might only be for a short amount of time. And you just want to stay as connected as you can so that you can trust that. Yeah. That feeling, you know, that that's really, but you should believe, you know, I absolutely agree with that. It was like, I would, I would pretty much have like a 24 hour period and I would go through these high highs and low lows. I'm trusting, I'm not trusting. And then I'd have to start all over the next day yeah. with some prayer and some really intentional time to um, think about what can I control and what I had many, many fears, which of these fears are actually logical, which of these are never, ever going to happen. And how can I just kind of focus on trusting the process? Um, you know, let's talk about staying flexible because you mentioned to me in pre-interview, you know, you went into a meeting one day as a mom of two, expecting that you would come out on the other side as a mom of four and, you know, in the adoption wait, after lunch sometime, you could get a call and become a mom or the next morning when you wake up, you could become a mom. We don't, some of us don't have to wait around for nine months or, it, or you do wait longer than nine months and then it just happens. You just never know. And you just have to be prepared for, for anything. Um, tell me about how waiting adoptive parents can do that. How can they prepare for the unknown and the high highs and the low lows of the whole process. Yeah. I mean, I think I want to just start by saying it is the hardest part, <laughs> you know, is staying flexible. <laughs> and when you look back, you can say, you know, oh, it'd be easy just to stay flexible. But I think letting your heart stay open and not letting it sort of feel closed off. You know, you often hear about being cautiously optimistic um, in, in adoption. And just, I think that that's true. We have those, you need to protect, you know, yourself, but you also need to stay flexible and just think, well, what could happen? I could have triplets tomorrow. And yeah. how awesome would that be? And I don't need to figure out what, how that scenario completely works but yeah. just kind of like letting your heart almost like free flow and letting yourself kind of daydream and and not be cautiously optimistic for a few minutes yeah um, is very helpful but also for me because of um, the strong reliance I have on faith I, I could always kind of just think God please put me in the place that I need to be help me to say the things that I need to say today and um and do the things that I need to do today. But that kind of helps me just sort of like stay grounded. Um, yeah. But being flexible was definitely the most challenging part. I'm a teacher by trade. I don't like to be, fle I like to have a plan. And yeah. <laughs> <you don't laughs> I always... think you will see that 
across um, adoptive moms, we're a lot of times very type A planned, scheduled routine people. And then all of a sudden this adoption weight hits us and you just, we, we don't know what to do. You blow us out of the water. I mean, I would literally prepare for like every, every scenario. And sometimes you just have to pull back and know there are things that you are not going to have control over. And once you sort of accept that and, and it can bring, bring a little peace into that. It's like, Hey, I'm on this ride. I don't know what's going to happen. And I just need to be flexible for whatever is going to come my way. Um, so I have your book and I love it. And I, I had to go looking for it this morning because my, um, seven-year-old had it and she was reading it and I didn't know where she put it. I highly recommend it for the bookshelf for waiting adoptive parents that we are helping them build because we have lots of authors that we bring on as guests. I also highly recommend it for classrooms. I think it would be a great conversation starter for kids. Um, and what I love about it is that you do a great job of pointing out what we kind of already talked about earlier, the two sides of feelings and adoption. Um, the, a lot, I know people in the adoption community describe it as the both and of adoption. You can feel joy and you can feel loss and grief at the same time. I love that you brought in your foster care experience because both of my girls were adopted at birth and they have very little knowledge as well as myself, very little knowledge about foster care, right? And a few years ago, um, we had a neighbor kid who came over to play and he was in a foster home um, right next a couple houses down. And so my kids had a lot of questions. They didn't know what foster care was. We had never talked about it. You know, we have a lot of um, conversations around our dinner table about adoption, but this had never come up. And so I thank you for opening up those conversations and giving us a kid-friendly way to kind of bring that into our dinnertime conversation. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. Yeah, so really what inspired me to write this book is my, my youngest daughter, Cecilia. I was trying to explain her adoption the way that I did with Sophie. And I found with Sophie, you know, having come through domestic infant adoption, it was just very um, easy. There was lots of books out on the market. That's how I would, I would read them. She lived the experience. We would meet up with her birth mom. She knew she was adopted. She knew her story and she was proud of it. And right. Cecilia, it was just more challenging. I would read some of the books that I had and I have probably every adoption book. No, <laughs> and I would read them, but they were so different from her story. And she was confused. And it was like, she wasn't really connecting the dots. Mm. And so I started out that I just wanted to write her story just for her. I really didn't even yeah. care. If anybody else read it. I just wanted it to be for her. And then once I was researching and I was seeing, wow, there's no books. I didn't really mm -hmm. see many. I do see a couple more about foster care now, but I didn't yeah. see any at the time. And so it started to just hit me how many kids that are in the system or, you know, they're adopted or they're not, but they're just not seeing themselves at all in any book and they deserve to be in seeing themselves. Absolutely. In so yeah. as I started to um, realize that I was like, other people need to see this book too. So we kind of made it bigger. 
but Mallory Mouse is the main character. And this yeah, is tell us about Mallory Mouse. I love the illustrations. I love Mallory Mouse. Tell us about her. Yeah, so I really wanted my daughter to be part of it. So she got to pick the character. I thought it would be a monkey because <laughs> she's like this tough little strong girl. She's always hanging, but yeah. uh, she picked mouse. So we made <laughs> like my daughter got to pick the way she looked and we kind of made her resemble her just a little bit. Um, so she, my daughter's seven. So she's like, I am Mallory mouse. Like she That's just right. really loves her. But um, <laughs> we, I, I started the story. I noticed that um, especially coming from foster care at birth she doesn't know her birth mother and we're not able at this time to have a relationship so at the beginning I knew I wanted to put um, birth mother in the story Mm. and I think a lot of times without realizing it adoptive parents start the story from where we started our part of the story but for you know for the adoptee it starts when they're conceived. And so I wanted her in the story to be in her birth mother's belly. And um, that's kind of how it starts. And birth mother, you know, says goodbye at the hospital, which is challenging. And I, I left some of those things to be in the illustrations and some of those things to be subtly in the words so that okay. if you're a parent and you're reading it with your child, you can take it as an opportunity to talk about that goodbye. Yeah. Um, children can see um, birth mom has a tear, you know, mm. as she's saying goodbye and she's choosing to say goodbye, but she's, you know, she's leaving. And so I, um, I wanted to make sure that that, that part was in there. And in our, story there was some back and forth between the foster home and the adoptive home a lot of times in foster care it's between birth parents and foster parents yeah but uh, I wanted to kind of put how confusing that can be for the child how you you love both and you don't understand kind of why it's happening the way it is yeah Um, I thought that foster children could identify with that and um I'm finding a lot of children when I go, I do a lot of, um, I read the book at a lot of different schools. There's a lot of children who are, their family is a foster family. And so they see themselves in the other characters, not just the adoptee, which I wasn't expecting that. They say, my family does that. We're a foster family. um, It's just important because they're a big part of the story too, you know, or my neighbor. And so that was a little bit more unexpected that it could be uh, beneficial for people. Like, like you were saying, your children were learning about foster care. through the book. Yeah. So. Um, I love what you said about a lot of times um, as adoptive parents, we tend to think the story starts with us. Um, and wow, it does not, it does not start with us. And what a great way, what a great reminder that these stories start with birth parents and that we should bring that into that conversation and start there when we're talking to our children about their adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that thought. Cause I, I think that is just incredibly impactful. 
with every episode, before we wrap up, we could talk about this book forever, I, but I want to leave our listeners with practical tips. I'm a practical tip person. So <laughs> just share a few tips that you have for waiting adoptive families on things they can do to turn their wait into more of an expectant and hopeful time maybe things they can do inside of their marriage and, and in their um, spousal relationships to kind of wait expectantly and hopeful. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I think I mentioned a little bit early about the earlier about the um, cautiously optimistic, I think that you need to have a little bit of time when you're not cautiously optimistic together as a couple, when you can daydream, you can say, um, what are we going to name it? If it's a baby girl, what are we going to name it? If it's a baby boy Mm -hmm. and just let yourself feel excited and hopeful. And, um, and to me, I think that that can be very intentional. It doesn't have to be all day, every day, but just yeah. like have little pockets of that and allow yourself to be excited. Um, I'm sure everybody says to spend your time reading books and finding <laughs> books and reading about adoption, but I think that that's important. You don't have time once the child's born to do as much of that as you had hoped. Um, and then my last one is we, on our adoption profile, we wrote, a little part, which was our vision of our family. Mm. And I love that we did that. And I think it's really a sweet thing for families to do together before they have kids. Um, Of course, you know, it's a vision statement. So it didn't include like tantrums and (laughs) all of those things, but it's just really sweet to look back at it now of what we had hoped. And part of that for us was like eating dinner as a family, but just, it really let me like go there and envision myself as being a mother and, and my husband as being a father and what we were going to be like. And so that was kind of fun. We didn't get to do a lot of journaling and I wish that we would have, some people will write to their child, but just all those hopeful things and doing them together, I think is great for your marriage. And it's just great for your soul to do that. Yeah. I love that. I love the like cautiously optimistic, like put that aside for a minute and just daydream. And then the vision thing to me, I'm thinking, you know, sometimes that could even help now as, as now we're not waiting, we're parents and we can get kind of stuck in all the hard and joy of those things. And to look back and be like, I know we've got tantrums. I know we've got bedtime tears, but this is, this was my vision. I wanted a family that did read books at bedtime and that sat at the dinner table together and think here I am now I'm living out that vision and that daydream that um, we had together. Laura, this has been such a great conversation. I'm so thankful for you for taking the time to encourage those who are waiting to adopt also for writing your books so that other adoptees can see themselves in children's books. I think that's extremely important. Before we go, tell us about any new projects or books that you might be working on and where we can find you online. Yeah, so um, you can find me at the books for sale, The Tale of Mallory Mouse from Foster Care to Adoption is on sale on, on Amazon. And um, you can find me on Instagram under Mallory Mouse and uh, Facebook under um, 
I'm sorry. Sometimes I forget on Facebook. I think I'm Laura Corey books. Um, and so no, right now, Mallory Mouse, I'm kind of playing with a couple of different ideas for additional books. My okay. Sophie is like, where's my book? Um, yeah. so we're thinking about <laughs> maybe having Mallory, um, kind of go through some things that, um, children, school-age children go through. Maybe we might write about dyslexia. That's kind of what um, I've been journaling a little bit about. Okay. I love that. We can't wait till that book comes out. Um, Thank you, Laura, so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm so happy to have you. Yes. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.